This episode of The Bryantland Show is brought to you by OnX Hunt. From Stone Mountain, Georgia, this is The Bryantland Show. Hosted by Proud Gamecock and South Carolinian AB3. Woo! It's hot here in Georgia, baby. Hot. Caliente. But the Bryantland Show still must go on. Thank you for joining us this week on the Bryantland Show. Man, it is hot, hot, hot as we are barreling through July, almost on our way to August. And of course, when we get to August, that means deer season is one step closer. But before we get into all of that, man, I got a great show for y'all today. I got Eric Morris from Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV. He is the guest this week. We sit down and chop it up, get into a lot of things. And man, I can tell you, it is hard to produce TV to make TV in this outdoor industry, brother. But uh, Eric Morris, like I said, is the guest. He'll come through and uh, talk about that. We'll definitely get deeper into it here in a few minutes. But before I bring in Eric, I just want to uh, give a little PSA, if you will, a little public service announcement because, you know, I care about y'all want to make sure y'all are doing things out there being safe. And I know everybody is focused on the COVID and the COVID hell and all that stuff, man, but it's hot as hell outside. And remember the things that our parents used to tell us about being outside, uh, you know, making sure you hydrate, all that kind of stuff. You know, people want you to stay in the house because of COVID hell, stay in the house because it's hot. If you don't, have to be out there, man. I know this time of the year you're working your gardens, you're trying to get your stands and everything together. You probably got your Onyx map technology out there trying to mark your stands and whatnot. Man, be safe, stay hydrated. You know, this is this is what we used to call back of heat when I was growing up in South Carolina. This is the kind of heat those folks be out there cropping the back of in and if you're saying, well, AB3, what the hell is tobacco? That's tobacco for you people that like to enunciate all the syllables, you know, cropping tobacco, and it's usually hot. But where I come from, South Carolina's back of heat out there cropping back in this heat. So, man, just stay, stay safe. Be smart. You know, drink your water. Stay hydrated. Try to get your work done early in the morning when it's cool or late in the afternoon. I mean, common sense stuff. I know you guys know this, man, but quite frankly, like I said, I just want to remind y'all, stay safe out there, man. We got to get the deer season. You can't get the deer season if you have a heat stroke. I mean, you know, again, all the focus is on COVID, and that is what it is. But don't forget about, you know, the normal things that we you know, try to make sure we protect ourselves against. You got the varmints and critters out there, the belly crawlers, snakes and whatnot out there, man. Make sure you got your sidearms, your shotguns or whatever to protect yourself from those things, man. Just be smart, be safe when you're in the outdoors, man. I want everybody to enjoy the outdoors, but like I said, just want you to be smart, be safe while you're doing it. Man, one more thing real quick before I bring in Emo. Eric Morris, yeah, he probably doesn't know I'm calling him emo. Well, he'll know when uh, when he listens to this. But anyway, before I bring in Eric Morris, man, just want to send a big shout out to the folks over at Traeger Grills, bro. Traeger Grills, the pellet grill folks, man. I know y'all have seen them, you know, in the stores and maybe seen them on social media and stuff, man. These things are nice and in a partnership with Bryantland, the Bryantland Show podcast, and Traeger Grills, those folks was nice enough to send me some pellets, some sauces, and a kick-ass 
Traeger Grill, man, which I can't wait to get the back straps and I got some salmon that I'm going to put on that thing, man. Traeger Grills, like I said, so excited about this partnership. Thank y'all for sending, you know, like I said, the pellets, the sauces. Got a nice Traeger Grill to, you know, wrap up this grill grilling season with. But then again, when you think about it, Grilling season is all year round, especially now that I got this uh, got this nice grill. You probably see pictures on it, or see pictures of it rather, on my Instagram at official Bryant Land. So, backstraps, salmon, chicken, wild boar, all the wild game meats and stuff. It's getting ready to go down on the Traeger grill. Just got me excited even more for hunting season and getting some stuff on the ground. So instead of from, you know, people say from the field to the table, it's going to go from the field to the Traeger, then to the table. You know what I'm saying? So, again, thank y'all. Really appreciate it, man. Make sure you check those folks out, TraegerGrills.com, and check out my pictures and stuff. I'll be posting all kinds of stuff once I get this thing put together and uh, get that Traeger smoke going. Now, without further ado or delay, Eric Morris. Producer, host of Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV. Like I said, Eric's been putting together an impressive resume and impressive credentials out here in the outdoor industry, man. He's putting a TV show together. And me being a person who works in the uh, TV industry, especially on the sports TV side, knows how hard it is to produce, edit, put together, even come up with a concept for a television show and this man is doing it all so like i said he came through we sat down we chopped it up we talked about that and host and a host of other things so you guys kick back fall back i'm gonna get on out the way and let y'all listen to my conversation with mr eric morris here on the bryantland show bryantland so the tv person in me the tv professional was automatically drawn to your story. Eric Morris from Non-Typical Outdoorsman TV. Thank you for coming on the Bryantland Show. How are you, bro? Hey, I'm doing good, brother. I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. Thank you again, man. I know you got a great thing going with your TV show, and we're going to get into that. But before... I dive into like the TV show and stuff. You got some other things that I picked up on. You know, you're a jack of all trades. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, you're not just, you know, a hunter, a fisherman, um, you know, a gun specialist. Um, I mean, I saw where you taught like Hunter's Edge, you teach firearms, man. You you are, a drag, a, like I said, a jack of all trades, man. What? Where did it start? Like, where did where are you from? Where did you grow up? Like, how did you get introduced to the outdoors? Well, hey, I would tell you, I am a country boy. And uh, my introduction, you know, I'm from Alabama, Talladega, Alabama. Ah. And, you know, a lot of times people think that, hey, because you're from the South, because you're from Alabama, then, hey, everybody do what you do. Not necessarily. Uh, I grew up hunting uh, with a pellet gun, uh, BB gun, you know, as, as, a, as a small child. Uh, but ironically, my daddy is not a hunter. Mm. But I, but I've always, you know, Adam, I've always been introduced. I mean, I'm sorry, interested in guns, the outdoors, and everything. So uh, over the years, you know, as as I got older, you know, kind of, you know, ventured into, you know, different aspects of hunting, uh, different you know methods of hunting, whether it be archery, muzzleloader, rifle, knife, whatever. And um, you know, you mentioned I'm a jack of all trades, but really. All the things I'm involved in are tied into being an outdoorsman. You know, hunter education, that's part of being an outdoorsman. Right. Firearms, that ties into it. Uh, everything that I do is centered around me being an outdoorsman. And it, it's funny because, you know, how you were saying, like, your father, you know, wasn't like a hunter or big in the outdoors. My dad wasn't either. Oh, okay. As a kid, you know, I grew up. Uh, in South Carolina, grew up in the country. You know, I always tell people I grew up on a dirt road in South Carolina. So I'm <laughs> familiar, you know, with, you know, country life. You know, you've seen mm-hmm. deer, you've seen coons, all that stuff. Oh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. really didn't get into 
the hunting until later as an adult. But one of the things that I all well, two things that I always will carry with me memory wise. One is fishing with my great great aunt. She always mm-hmm. take us to go fishing, you know, down like at the uh, little pond um in the area down there in South Carolina. She would take us fishing and two as a middle school student being in what was called the gifted and talented program, we took hunter education and yeah. it was the, we all, we called him the wildlife man. Cause he would come and we do the course, you know, six weeks, four weeks, however long the course was. And the treat at the end for passing the course was being able to shoot skeet. So yeah. you got, you know, 10, 11, or what, 12, 13-year-olds in middle, basically middle school age that learned hunter safety and then were handed live shotguns with live rounds to shoot skeet out in the country. And I swear to you, when I tell people that, they look at me like I have two heads. Those are probably people who are not from the South because, you know, exactly. me being from Alabama. <laughs> as, a, as, as I call them city folk. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Because we all know that, you know, in, in the rural areas, uh, hunting and shooting is part of the culture. It's part of the fabric of our society that we grew up under. And, um, you know, it's nothing for 12, 13 year old, 14 year old child to be shooting guns. You know, um, it's just I mean, that, that does not surprise me. Now, the thing about you, though, that I that I like and I thought was really cool you are on a rifle team in high school. They had you guys had a rifle team in high school, right? Yeah, ROTC. I was in ROTC, and we had a rifle team. And believe it or not, man, that was my. You know, everybody else wanted to be a star football player, a star basketball player. My goal was to be the top shooter on the rifle team by the time I graduate high school, and I did it. Wow! Now, did you get scholarship offers uh, that came along with that? It's funny you mentioned that because. I did not know the scholarship opportunities existed until I actually went to college. I went to college uh, at Jacksonville State University uh, in Alabama, mm-hmm. and I'm familiar. The the other Gamecocks. There you go, the Gamecocks. The, the other, the, <laughs> State the, University. The other Gamecocks, because I went to Carolina. I went to the University of South Carolina, so okay. it's like every time I see that, we always joke. It's like, oh, there's another set of Gamecocks in Alabama. Look at that. There you go. <laughs> and I was part of those Gamecocks. And um, when I got to college, you know, I realized they had a ROTC. I mean, a ROTC. They also had a rifle team. And I did go out and shoot with them. You know, just you know, just to shoot a little bit. I wasn't on the team, but and I don't really recall now, you know, it's been years, but I don't recall the reason why I did not, you know, go ahead and get on the rifle team. But, um, you know, I did not even know that you could go to college on a marksmanship scholarship. And that's one of the things that I tell people today about, you know, a lot of times, you know, us in the black community, we think that the only way to go to college is through an athletic scholarship right. or an academic scholarship. But there are a lot of different ways for a child to go to college, such as marksmanship. Yep. But then again, in the black community, sometimes we think, ooh, guns are bad. Ooh, we shouldn't shoot. You know, you know a lot of times those programs are not um, in some of the black schools. But you can also go to school on, um, you know, uh, music scholarships, other type of scholarships other than just athletics. I mean, they got fishing teams now. There is a whole right. collegiate fishing circuit. And I, I can remember doing – doing some games in Kentucky and seeing at the University of Kentucky and seeing the posters, you know how they have the posters for like every team and they have like the mm-hmm. schedule and stuff like that. They have mm-hmm. one for the rifle team. And I was uh, blown away. The fishing team. They had one for the fishing team and they had one for the rifle team. Okay. Okay. And I, guess what? They got one to get off a rodeo too. That is amazing <laughs> to me. Just like the, like you say, the different, outlets especially the outlets in the outdoors like you know i know there's olympic archery and there's like an olympic you know marksmanship and stuff but just to think that you know as a teenager if you can excel in one of those disciplines that you know that's another alternative another way for you to get a college education it's it's remarkable it is and also too uh rifle team and the um uh, trap shooting the skeet shooting 
a lot of uh, colleges and universities have, uh, you know, collegiate skeet shooting teams, you know, skeet teams and trap. So, yeah. Wow. Now, have you, with your love of guns and marksmanship, have you ever thought about coaching one of those teams or maybe even no, starting a team or? I, I have not with a uh, with a trap and skeet because, in my opinion, uh, I, I'm, I'm a decent shot. I can hold my own and trap against most people. I can, you know, I do okay mm -hmm. uh, with skeet, but I'm primarily a hunter. Yeah. Uh, I haven't thought about a uh, started team because I believe that for me to start a team, I should have some kind of uh, national or at least state level accomplishments up under my belt, such as, you know, state champion, national champion for the Olympic level, you know, type shooting. I think that would give me better skills. But, you know, my passion lies within hunting and mentoring and teaching others about hunting in the outdoors, you know, teaching people how to shoot. You know, that's where my passion lies more so than you know, having, you know, called, you know, college ski teams or high school ski teams uh, or, or rifle teams. Certainly, certainly. Now, is speaking of which, with that uh, passion, is that how you ended up teaching Hunter's Ed and just teaching like the Hunter's nope. Education classes and stuff? No, nope, not at all. The way I came about teaching Hunter Education is this. About 2010, I set out to do what I can to increase the number of blacks and other minorities in hunting in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And I know that seeing is believing for a lot of people. And for a lot of people, they don't believe that, you know, first of all, let me back up a little bit. There are thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of black people that hunt across America. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, I'm sure you do, you know, you knew a bunch of them in South Carolina. I know a bunch of them in Alabama and Georgia and do other places throughout the South. Yep. But um, the perception is that black people don't hunt. And I don't and know so, why that is the perception because it, it, it is so funny. And I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but the thing that always kills me and I always tell people when, you know, they give you like that, that, that third eye or they give you, you know, like the stink face or whatever, when you tell them that, that you hunt or they mm -hmm. see you have pictures on social media, it's like, look, I like doing this leisurely and, you know, posting pictures on social media, doing it from a recreational standpoint. But mm -hmm. don't get it twisted. This ain't new. This goes all the way back to our ancestors that had to do this for survival. There are people that have to do it for survival today. Like, I'm right. doing it for fun. I'm fortunate oh, yeah. that I can just, you know, enjoy it, you know, as a sportsman and from a recreational level. But don't for one minute think that this is something new. Like, it, it goes way back. And it, it's always just... It's amazing to me how how people are, don't know that. Well, well, there's a lot of reasons why, and I'm a back. I'm, I'm gonna continue what I was saying about uh, how I came yep. to be a hunter education instructor. Yep. I'm, I'm sorry into, to cut you off. No, 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 it's all good, man. It's all good. <laughs> but hey, but then I'm gonna jump into why the perception exists that black people don't hunt. So back to why how I became a hunter education instructor. I believe that seeing is believing. Yep. And you know. Black outdoorsmen, black professionals, black outdoor leaders are a rare sight in America. So, you know, back around that time, 2010, when I committed myself to, you know, being an advocate of outdoor diversity and doing everything I could to increase diversity, I said, oh, I started a group called Black Wolf Hunting Club. Mm -hmm. And the concept of Black Wolf Hunting Club and the mission was to form chapters throughout America where there were, you know, layered predominantly by minorities whether it be black, white, I mean, black, Asian, whoever. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is to show people, to, to teach, mentor, and cause more minorities to get out there hunting and fishing. Because a lot of Joes are scared. And I'll talk about that a little bit later on, too. <laughs> but um, my thing is walk the walk. Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk the talk, but mine was about walking the walk. So in order to walk the walk, I felt that I would have to get some of the certifications, some of the uh, credentials to allow me to better engage the minority community. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, me along with uh, one other guy became hunter education instructors and we started teaching hunter education. I continued, he stopped, uh, but I continued. Mm -hmm. And uh, to date I have been successful in getting this last count. I think it was, three other people in different states to become hunter, hunter education instructors in their state. Oh, wow. Probably the most unique one being in Brooklyn, New York, of all places. Wow. I have a fourth person 
who's also in Brooklyn, New York, who has started the process to become a hunter education instructor. That lends credibility to the cause. Yep. But to go forward and to talk about the perception of black people not hunting and why that exists, in my opinion, it exists for a couple of reasons. First reason is we're never seen or reflected in mainstream media. Mm. Never. TV, mm -hmm. magazines, nothing involved hunting outdoors shows a black person for most of the time. Right. Occasionally, you might flip through a magazine, see a black hunter or outdoorsman featured. Uh, you may flip through an outdoor channel, television show or whatever, see a black person on there every blue moon. But for the most part, I mean, the most part, hunting in the outdoors is portrayed as a white male's sport and domain. Mm -hmm. Second reason why that perception is this, is that oftentimes people in the industry or whatever will, you know, ask, you know, a guy or a girl who may happen to be black about hunting. And because they don't hunt, they will proclaim to the world, no, we don't do that. No, we don't hunt. No, uh -uh. <laughs> And what I find is that, you know, it's, it's almost, you know, like, you know, when you have a situation that happens, like a bad situation, and they go to a black community, sometimes it seems like they found the worst person to possibly put in front of the microphone. <laughs> we we get blamed for that all the time in the media. Y'all do. Oh, don't, oh no. See, so y'all not know that kind of people, are you? <laughs> <laughs> we could, I, I I consider myself collectively part as the quote unquote media, and okay. and it, it's funny we get blamed for all the ills and problems of the world, and but yes, it does. That one I agree. It does seem like sometimes it's like okay, let's find, let's skip over all the intelligent you know, articulate people, and let's find the absolute worst person that we can put on TV to right. talk about whatever it is. And they become the poster child of the cause. Right. And so a lot of times, you know, uh, I always say that misery uh, and, and trouble love to flock together. And a lot of people who don't do things uh, would tend to latch on to someone who share their same views. So with me, I believe that one person can change you know, the, the perception and the um, uh, future of many. And so what I do, going back to that walk the walk, I walk the walk. I do, you know, hog hunts with knives in the woods at night, you know, in the <laughs> woods in the daytime, miles in the back there by myself. Yep. Um, you know, you got to be the example. Yep. And a lot of people, honestly, man, they just ain't got to be good. They, most people don't have it in them. Um, and so therefore that fear factor comes in. Um, and I, I, I've, I ran into it a lot. You have a lot of grown men in their thirties and forties, sixties, terrified to be out there in the woods, terrified to be out there in the woods alone. Unfortunately, many of them are afraid of what white people may do to them. Yeah. And so I try to overcome And Here's the thing. I don't think white people do anything to them. That's a self-imposed fear based off of boogeyman stories from yesteryear in our society that causes some people to just shower from the outdoors. Yeah. So in my opinion, that's just, you know, my, 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 you know, opinion as to why, um, you know, the perception is this as to why more black people don't hunt. It is. Well, I, I'll say one more thing too. What's that? And I'm, I'm, I'm writing a piece for one magazine, um, about this right now. And that is the outdoors can also be unwelcoming a lot of times, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally. A lot of times what I've found is that, you know, people may put on an event, host an event to get more, you know, racial inclusion. Mm -hmm. Yet the way they go about doing that event is an automatic turnoff for a lot of people in their target audience. So, you know, there, there's a lot of different reasons as to why black people don't hunt, although a lot of us do hunt. But there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why the perception exists. But, um, you know, that's just my two cents. Yeah. No, I mean, and they're all valid points i i would say you know some of especially like i can understand for you know black men in uh the older demographic like in the 60s and stuff like that mm -hmm. i can understand where some of that fear may come from yeah. because of you know things that have happened in the past you know lynchings mm -hmm. and stuff like that I, and the way the laws and society was right at that time right so i yeah. get from so i i i do 
understand that that fear but then as you said you know like when you get down a little bit more into like our age range you know 30s 40s whatever mm-hmm. i think you know it's if it's something that you really want to do then you know like you say you just got to get out there and do it and just put everything aside be smart be right. careful but if it's something that you want to do don't let anything keep you from doing it right and the ones who will keep you from doing it are the ones who wouldn't do it themselves because yeah. if you go to a man or a woman who does hunt or who has no fear of hunting and going out into nature enjoying nature then they're going to encourage you to go but if you are unfortunate enough to be around people who don't have a backbone in them or ain't got a lick of courage as we say to myself ain't got a lick of courage in them <laughs> to go out and do something like that <laughs> then that person is going to be hindered and they're going to be one the ones to stop that person whether it be a boy or girl from going out and doing what they really want to do in outdoors such as hunting you know hiking and so forth right now with you being such an avid and hardcore hunter what's your favorite hunt like what's your favorite season i mean you've already touched on a couple of things knifing pigs i've never knifed a pig i've shot i've shot (laughs) pigs with a bow um bow hunting is always my preferred method that's my first you know love since i've started doing this but what about you what's your favorite hunt like what's your favorite season what what do you look forward to well let's see um i like to hunt several things one you know um deer is a popular big game animal that i like to hunt yeah so i do look forward to deer i also look forward to um duck season i love uh hunting i love wing shooting Okay. Whether it be ducks, quail, pheasant, uh, dove, anything on the wing, I like wing shooting. Um, one of the reasons why I like wing shooting, um, particularly ducks and upland bird, is because I like to watch the dog work. Mm. And so when it comes to those types of hunting, such as, you know, duck hunting and um, upland bird hunting, it often involves a dog of some sort, whether it be a retriever or a pointer. I happen to have a retriever. Okay. So I nice. like to see, you know, it's a good interaction between watching the dogs. Um, and that's fun and relaxing, but I also like bear and hog hunting. Um, wow. I hunt bear and I like, uh, hog hunting because for me, ever since I started hunting, um, uh, I've always liked the challenge and idea of matching my wits against animals in the wild, mm-hmm. hunting big game and dangerous games, such as, you know, bear, you know, hogs, they can be dangerous. Oh yeah. Um, you know, that. That's like an adrenaline rush. It's like, hey, let's go do this. And so, um, you know, for, so to answer your question with the seasons, favorite games to hunt, deer, hog, bear, duck, uh, upland birds, such as quail and pheasant. Mm-hmm. And I also like turkey hunting. Mm, mm. Turkey. I, turkey is something that's growing on me the last couple of years. Like, I I like doing it um I like hunting Rios and Miriams more so okay. than I do the Easterns. Easterns, because mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, the Easterns—they're just a pain to me. They're, they're a pain in the butt, man. They—they they get <laughs> on the ground and they shut up, and the next thing you know, a couple hours pass, and then all of a sudden, like you can call to the cows come home, and then all of a sudden they just come peeking around the corner and they don't say anything. At least with the Rios and the Miriams, they'll respond. Like they're all, they're pretty responsive birds those are like my favorites um as far as like turkey hunting mm-hmm. okay. okay but um and it's funny you the hogs like i said the hog was the first thing that i ever killed with my bow so i okay. i am partial a little bit mm-hmm. to hog hunting bears you're like the third person that i've talked to that's big on bears i now that's the one that i I still I need some time. I can't because I got hey, two I got a two I, uh buddies of mine that was just like, uh-huh. Oh, well you scared, you scared. I'm like, look, man, the thing climbs trees, okay? Like that <laughs> that's what <laughs> kind of messes with me a little bit. It's like, you know, it's one thing to to get chased and possibly be mauled when you fooling with a hog, but when you can't really get away from the bear that i don't know about that one well i'm I'm gonna tell you how to overcome that adam here's the way you get here's the way i look at it and i can't speak for every hunter but here's the way i and many other hunters approach it Mm -hmm. when i walk into the woods 
I'm fearless. I'm my, my mindset is I am the apex predator of wherever I am. Mm. Okay. Having that mindset will allow you to do a lot of things that average Joker can't do and won't do. I've learned how to get rid of fear a long time ago. So when I go into the woods, I go, I mean, you got to go with that mindset. Yeah. You got to go through life with that same mindset <laughs> because I often tell people that the way they see themselves on the totem pole of life mm-hmm. is how they will act and respond to life. If you see yourself as a weakling, as a prey animal, as a prey person, then you're going to go through life thinking everybody's out to get you, that you're weak, that you're defenseless. But if you see yourself as an apex predator at the top of the food chain, then you're going to live life that way. When I go into the woods, I'm like, hey, let's do this. <laughs> you know, I said it earlier. <laughs> let's do it. All now, right. I do have the advantage because I have a gun. Right. Oftentimes, 44 mag or 12 gauge slug gun, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. you know, kind of levels the playing field. But, sure. you know, you have to be fearless. You have to be. Sure. Apex predator. <laughs> I like it. I like it. There's nothing wrong with that. Do so with that being said being said, again, gun more the preferred weapon of choice over the bow? I mean, like, do you well, do you have a favorite or I don't really have a favorite. I okay. don't have a favorite because archery is addictive. I was out in uh Arizona the, this past January and um missing, you know, coos deer. Left and right, <laughs> you know, so you know, <laughs> I was still apex apex predator in the mind, but I was missing like a doggone prey animal, you know, when I was out there. But you know, archery is fun, yeah. And once you you know get kind of into archery a little bit, let's say if you start your season with bow season, mm-hmm. you start hunting. Um, it you you know it almost seems unfair when you pick up a rifle because <laughs> with archery you got to get close, you got to be a hunter, right. You can't be a sniper or a shooter as you, you know with the uh, as you can with a rifle. Right. So um, you know, but before his preferences, it just all depends. I mean, um, I, I do it all: archery, you know, gun, you know, knife. I mean, yeah. whatever. I mean, so I don't really have a, a particular favorite favorite gun. I would say, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of a lever action. Okay. And I'm also a huge fan of a slug gun, a shotgun. Yeah. So yeah, those are my two, you know, my, my two favorite guns, um, lever action or, or either, you know, a shotgun. Man, that, see, that's the thing. Like I'm with you, like with bow hunting, you know, it was funny cause I was talking to a guy the other day and he was like, um, you know, we were talking about hunting deer or whatnot. And I was like, yeah, I love, you know, bow hunting, you know, Bo, I've said it plenty of times on this show. It's like, you know, the thing that I love about bow hunting is because you got to get close. Mm-hmm. You know, you're 15, 20, 25 yards. You're right on top of the animal. It's like that's mm-hmm. the best thing about it. And he was like, well, yeah, I like it. He was like, but, you know, when rifle season come, I'll pick up my rifle. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, I'm still bow hunting. He's like, you bow hunting during rifle season? I was like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you, a, you are a bow hunter. <laughs> like year round. Like when yeah, their yeah. season, that's the thing that I love um you know here in georgia is like once deer season opens you got until the 15th or whatever january to do your business regardless of you know whether it's muzzleloader rifle you know whatever either sex you can Mm -hmm. go at it for for that uh that period of time so that Mm -hmm. i mean the whole season yeah so to me man it's just i don't know once i once I got into it, it like you said, it became addictive, and I wanted to bow hunt everything. Like, like I mm-hmm. said, I bow hunted hogs, bow hunted turkeys, bow hunt mm-hmm. deer, and it, it's humbling. But man, when you standing fifteen, twenty yards away from that deer, and you can, you know, see it like chewing and see mm-hmm. and you know, hear, the and lungs hear it chewing. and hit right, <laughs> yeah. you like oh, yeah. hear, you, you hear it, it and chewing on grass, yeah. seeing it <laughs> inhale and exhale and just being that close. Oh man, like I yeah, there there's nothing like it. Now here's here's a question. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh well, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Would you get you was getting ready to say something? I was just only going to add that this. It takes a better. You have to be a better hunter to be a bow hunter. Yeah, because there, there, there's fewer room, fewer there's fewer room for mistakes. Yeah, being a bow hunter because it's such a close game. Uh, as a hunter, as a rifle hunter, you know, hey, you know, you can shoot an animal from from a you know hundred yard, the football field away or football field and a half away, and you know, 
get away with it. But you have it takes bow hunters or better hunters. I, I would just come out and say it. Well, it's funny that you say that because let me let me ask you this. I'm gonna put my other question on hold for a second. Let me okay. let me ask you this because here in Georgia now, and it was a big thing year before last. The whole baiting issue, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's you know corn, attracting whatever the case is, you mm-hmm. know, now you can bait in the entire state of Georgia on private land. On private land, correct. Is that your thing? Like, or do you have like a? Will you do you do it? B? Do you feel any way about it? Because I know some people are like, oh, it's it's not hunting, it's not mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. To me, I'm like, whatever advantage you can use, you know, you don't have to do it all the time, you know, whatever the case is, but whatever advantage, you know, that you can get, I'm all for it. What say you? I say that, A, uh, do I do it? Yes. B, do I do it all the time? No. Right. Because, um, you know, there, there's some advantages of, you know, finding out where the animals are. And sometimes it all depends on, on why you hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a hunter education instructor, you know, we teach students that there's different stages of a hunter. You know, you have the you know, hunters, hunters first start out in the shooting stage. Mm-hmm. Then they may go to the limiting out stage where they want to try to get their limit all the time versus just shooting something in the shooting stage. Then you have your method stage and your, you know, your um, giving back stage and other stages of being a hunter. But it all depends on why you hunt. Some people hunt for the traditional feeling of it for the nostalgia of it mm-hmm. i'm a i am not a trophy hunter i'm a meat hunter okay. i hunt for, to eat if i happen to shoot a trophy and eat a trophy then i'm good yeah but i don't go out necessarily i, I don't hunt antlers or horns so um sometimes there are some spots where i will hunt uh you know maybe throw some corn out or whatever mm-hmm. but at the same time i realize that that is not hunting um and what i mean by that is this Anybody, I pride myself on being able to go out into an animal's environment, walk into an environment for the first time, find out where the animals are moving. I do that by looking at their browse patterns, you know, the browse lines, right. you know, tracks, you know, um, you know, feces yep. or whatever indication that it gives me. I then like to try to position myself in a good spot for a kill, whether it be with the bow or with the gun, uh, to be in that animal's environment, you know, without, you know, a helping hand mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know I, I i will never get to the point to where okay let's go to feeders out in texas and a lot of the places you know um feeders is the name of the game right my personal opinion is that that's really that's not hunting that's shooting because a person can go sit in a blind that's nice and air conditioned. They see whatever nice and, you know, <laughs> enclosed, you know, have a feeder out there about a hundred yards or so and deer come up, pow, to shoot it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the deer drops right there. Maybe the deer run off, but that requires zero skill. The only, only thing you have to be good at is being, being a good shot. Being a good shot. Yep. That's not being a hunter. A hunter, you can take the same person who is a box stand feeder hunter. And I'm not necessarily knocking that because everybody has their, you know, preference. Right. But you can take a that same person, put them in the woods, and say, "Hey, find out where the animals are moving. Tell me what we got out here. Do we have hog? We have deer. What do we have? Where are they moving? They can't tell you a lot of times if they are just a tree stand, you know, feeder shooter. Mm-hmm. But a hunter, a true hunter, can do that. And so I, I value my skills as an outdoorsman, you know, and as a hunter. Yep. more so than my ability to sit in a, in, in, in a comfortable blind and shoot a deer coming up against some corn out the feeder. Yeah. I have done it, mm-hmm. but I realized that that is not hunting. You know, that that's, that's shooting. I think one of the things for me that was kind of like a light bulb moment was like last year I was out and I set up um, in an area where it's like, okay, uh, it's near a food plot and it's like, okay, this is staging area. Like I had gotten mm-hmm. several pictures of them kind of mm-hmm. just hanging out in this area, mm-hmm. um, waiting to go into the food plot. So it's like, mm-hmm. all right, I'll hunt, you know, a little bit off of this area. I got my climber, mm-hmm. get in that tree. Well, while I was in that tree waiting for them, you know, to hit that staging area and hopefully present a shot, I looked over probably maybe another 60, 70 yards, and 
it was like a freaking interstate. Like I looked <laughs> and they were just hopping like right, you know, they, apparently there was a trail like 60, 70 yards away from me. And they were just up and down that trail, up and down that trail, and they came nowhere near the the staging area um, at that time. So I was like, "Huh." So you know, after that hunt or whatever, and it was this was towards the end of the season, so it was, you could see a lot better than you could in early season. You know, when everything's mm-hmm. all greened up and, and yeah. whatnot. Um, so you know, I got down whatever. Hung a camera, put a camera, you know, just a little bit off of where I thought, you know, pretty much where I thought that trail was. Mm-hmm. And my God, it's like, of, you know, like I said, it, it, it's an interstate. Like they yeah. use yeah. it back and forth and they've been using it back and forth, you know, because I've run cameras year round and mm-hmm. they use it, you know, back and forth, you know, all through turkey season, all through mm-hmm. the summer and stuff. So if it still holds through, you know, September as a primary trail, which is what I think it is, then I've already got a couple of trees that I picked out that I'm going to climb and hunt from there. My point in this long-winded story is the more time you spend in the woods, the more that you learn about them, the more that your woodsmanship and being out, you you get to be a better outdoorsman. And then it's almost like a weaning process. You kind of wean yourself off of just being in a tree that's over a feeder or being in a yep. blind that's over a feeder. Mm-hmm. So, right. And then to me, and to me that that's a cool part. It was like, like I said, it's a, it's a light bulb moment. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. aha, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. this is what y'all doing. And, you know, tree time, stand time, whatever you want to call it, man, it, it's invaluable. Cause you, you oh, can yeah. look at all the maps and, you know, you can look at all the pictures and stuff, but until you're in those trees or in those blinds and being able to lay eyes on those animals and see how they're yep. coming in and see what they're doing for your own eyes, mm-hmm. man, it, it's nothing like it. Yeah, I agree. Now, moving. Oh, the last thing I wanted to hit: knifing hogs. Uh huh. Up close and personal, attached to a spear. Up close and personal. Like, <laughs> nice. Nice. With the pits? Are you using catch pits? Um, normally I don't like I say my dog is a retriever. I am a I'm a Chesapeake Bay retriever kind of guy. Okay. But when I do go out and I'm trying to work up a hunt now with some guys um here in a couple of states mm-hmm. uh to put on my episode of my uh season three show, my show in season three. Okay. I normally go with people who have they don't necessarily have to be pits, but they can be catch dogs, yeah. bulldogs, pits, mm-hmm. or whatever they happen to use, mm-hmm. and bay dogs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was... You have to do that in order to... Because a hog can run. A lot of Man. people probably don't realize that. They look at that little short, fat body with them stubby legs, with but that little... Them stubby little legs can go... They can they can tote the bacon. <laughs> they can tote it, man. And so you need a dog that can run down the hog and bay him. Yep. Just so you can catch up to him because one person running through the woods with a knife like Tarzan will not catch a hog. Yeah. No. You, it, you need that dog. It that was how um the first hog hunt I ever went on, I went with uh with baying hounds. And mm-hmm. they they bait him and uh the guy called the shot. You know, once his dog was clear mm-hmm. and, you know, I shot him with my bow or whatever, which mm-hmm. is which at the time I didn't realize is rare because most people, yeah. because they're afraid of what could happen to their dogs, they, oh, yeah. you know, you have to knife them close or whatever. But like mm-hmm. I said, I use my bow on that. But you talk about an adrenaline rush, man. Oh, yeah. that, that was probably outside of some of the waterfowl hunts that I've been on. That was probably the most fun that I had was doing that uh that hog hunt with those oh, yeah. um with those hounds, man. Mm-hmm. It's fun, it's fun, man. I'm telling you. But when you get one that's down and they kinda playing possum and you think it's down and that joker snap up and on his on his feet, oh my God. <laughs> well, you know, you might want to put another arrow in him or another oh, knife blade in no, him, you know, it, before you walk up to yeah, because well, they well, can yeah, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, you you know, he's, he's, you know, down and you think it's down, man. And then it's just like before you, you blink and they're up on the feet and it's just like, yeah. boom. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whole new ball game. Mm-hmm. 
Non-typical outdoorsman TV, man, on the Pursuit channel. First of all, congratulations for having a outdoor show on a mainstream channel like the Pursuit channel. Thank you. But as we were talking before, it's almost like sports. It's one thing to get there, to get your show there. It's another thing to keep it there. And what I think the average person doesn't really understand about outdoor TV, the way basically it works is you come up with the money to purchase airtime and then you try to make that money back in advertising and sponsorships. But you have to purchase that airtime on that channel. Where are you now with non-typical outdoorsmen? Well, let's first start. What made you want to do non-typical outdoorsman TV? And then where are you now with it? Well, Adam, starting out, you know, um, with your first question, how, you know, what made me want to do it? I often tell people that, you know, like, like, as I said earlier, and some of your listeners may remember what I said about seeing is believing. Yep. And as a child, you know, I'm almost 49 years old right now, but as a child, when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, growing up in Alabama, I never saw anybody on the outdoor channels that looked like me. Back in those days, it was Roland Martin, Bill Dance, um, Jimmy Houston, a few other guys. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to hunting, I mean, and I was sitting in front of that TV like the Martians were speaking to me. I was so hooked on outdoors. I was sitting here soaking it all in. <laughs> but the thing that I realized is that, you know, I never saw a person that looked like me. Despite the fact that plenty of people in my, in my community were hunters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, over the years, you know, I traveled around the country. I'm retired from the Army and everything. And uh, in my travels, uh, whether it be at Fort Bragg, Fort Hood, wherever I was at, Fort Carson, People would always look at me when I go to those um, to, to the rod and gun clubs and other places. They would look at me as if I, you know, had stepped off the, you know, a spaceship. Right. And when I go to, you know, to hunt and everything, because it would be a look of surprise and amazement. So, you know, keeping that in, you know, in mind and the fact that we ne I never saw anybody look like me. And uh, I mean, you, you can watch TV for years and rarely ever see a non-white person in those outdoor spaces. So for me, you know, I was like, you know, we need to do something. I say, you know, here it is 2014, 2015. I think I saw a couple of shows here and there, but probably less than 1%. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, Hey, somebody needs them. Why don't we have a show? We meaning, you know, the black community, right. You know, I'll you know, admit that, Hey, I love a lot of the shows that I do see. Honestly, I don't really care what color the host is. So, you know, if it's a good show, it's a good show. Yeah. And I do see a lot of good shows on TV, you know, that a lot of the guys do. But I realized that I did not see any people of color, for the most part, on television, on, on mainstream television. So I said, hey, you know, we need to have a show. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there at the time. Bub Jackson had, you know, he had come and gone mm -hmm. on the outdoor scene on television. There's a few other guys I would see. Yep. Um, you know, Wayne Hubbard, I think, was on local uh, TV at the time in Kansas City when I saw his show on one of the local cable stations. But um, on the major networks, I never saw anybody look like me. So I said, hey, you know, we need to do something. I had a few conference calls with people, you know, other, you know, black hunters and everything. And say, hey, man, you know, we should have a show. We all got skills. Why don't any of us have a show? And I, I'll tell you, Adam, you know, a lot of, I often believe that a lot of, you know, you can do more with less when it comes to you know, accomplishing things. Mm -hmm. People, I mean, you can do more with less people if their hearts and minds are in the right places. So I got tired of, you know, going around and around with a large group of people talking about what we ought to do, what we can do, <laughs> who knows who, right. all this talk. And anybody who knows me know that, know that I'm a man about action. Yep. I don't do a whole lot of talking. You know, I, I'll talk, but then after a while, it's time for action. Yep. So for me, I said, hey, I'm going to go out. Since nobody else is doing it, I'm going to take a stab at trying to have an outdoor television show. I said, you know, I can hunt. I know what I'm doing for it's outdoors. So I put together a pilot, sent it into the Sportsman channel, and it was rejected because it needed some work. And I'm like, yeah, I agree because I don't have a clue what I'm doing <laughs> you know, when it comes to the television thing. You know, I'm a man of many challenges, as you mentioned before. Jack of many Jack trades. Of all trades. Yeah. But the television production, outdoor television production was not one of them at the time. So um, I said, okay, I'm going to try it again. And I had been told by some people in the outdoor industry that, you know, some, some, some of the black people who were trying to get into the outdoor industry 
that, quote, they don't want us in there. Yep. So I'm not one to go off of what they say and, <laughs> and hearsay. Right. I like to test theories myself. Right. So I said, and that, that's what led me to put together a pilot episode for Sportsman Channel. So, um, you know, fast forward, I retired from the Army and, um, you know, started the guide service where I was guiding hunts and everything. And I met a guy who, and I told myself after my show was rejected, I uh, didn't pass the quality control. And um, I said one of two things, either A, my show is rejected because it sucks. You know, my pilot sucks because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Or either B is rejected because it's true what they say that they don't want us in there. Mm-hmm. I say, but before I, you know, um, you know, make a decision as to what really is the reason, I said, let me try it one more time. So in the course of that, I went ahead and um, met a guy who was already on television and told him that I had aspirations of having my own outdoor show. And he said, hey, you know, contact these people. It may work. Contact these people. Here's some, you know, different network you can try, try pursuit. I put together a pilot episode, sent it in to him, pitched the show to a media company that sources shows for Pursuit Channel. Mm-hmm. And as I say, the rest is history. Nice. Now, challenges. You mentioned what are some of the, what are some of the things, I guess, do you say challenges or what was it you was asking about um, or the second reason why? Oh, no, I would say why. So what was the inspiration? And then like, right. where are you with okay. it now? Right, right. Where am I now? I, right now, Non-Tipple Outdoorsman TV is getting ready to air its second season on Pursuit Channel. Um, but I'm also at the point, um, at the place right now where I am needing funding. You were dead on when you said, I talked about what it takes to get a show on air, which is buying airtime and trying to get that money back, you know, via sponsors and donations. Mm-hmm. Last year, when I launched the show, I went broke, literally mm-hmm. went broke to get my show on air. Me being a retired major from the army, you know, we are taught and ingrained that failure is not an option. Mm. Make it happen. Yep. One way, find a way. And when I put my reputation on the line, knowing that what I'm trying to do would benefit millions of people in America, black, white, and everybody in between by bringing the diversity and inclusion to the outdoors that people sometimes seem reluctant to want I realized that I had to make the show happen one way or another. So last season, I sold my van. I pulled money out of retirement. I had a GoFundMe, which got brought in a little bit of money. I did everything that I could, you know, to get the money to get the show on air with the hope that if I build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Well, I built it. It aired. Success. I mean, that this show was very successful. Response from America was great. People from all ethnicities loving the show. However, nothing came. Nobody came. Mm. So where I am right now, where the show is right now, is we're about to launch season two, yet the show is in the same boat with needing sponsors, needing donations. Mm-hmm. Um, some people see me on TV and say, hey, you know, Eric, he got his own show. You know, he's on TV. He must be rich. You know, he must have this. No. Yeah. Don't believe the hype. Right. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. You know, I'm struggling to try to get, you know, money and sponsors for the show. And I'll be honest with you, man. You know, one thing that that kind of, you know, was a big eye opener for me was this. Prior to the show, a lot of people, a lot of organizations, a lot of companies uh, met with me. We talked about different things about, hey, Eric, how can we get more diversity? You know, if you had our resources, what would you do to get more minorities involved in hunting in the mm-hmm. outdoors? And I would say I would have an outdoor show. And they'd be like, well... Statistics show we did research. Statistics show that you know black people don't really watch outdoor television. I say because we never seen anybody look like us. It's the same, you know, you know, different channels, same thing. Right. Um. And again, that's not taking anything away from our white hunting brothers. That's not taking anything away from them. But talk is cheap, and a lot of these companies who were and organizations talking about ways of trying to get more diversity. I am doing what they have been talking about trying to do for years. Yeah. And all this talk about diversity, inclusion, all these conferences, all this, you know, all this, you know, stuff about how to do it. I'm doing it. Yet I still have a hard time getting buy-in from those who was trying to find a way, trying to find a way to do this and that. So I've learned that talk is cheap. Well, and I'm also just known, I mean, you know, I'm a cord cutter. 
So, you know, I got rid of like most of my cable, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I have two outdoor apps. Mm-hmm. Three outdoor apps actually. Okay. And especially during, you know, the time that we've had now during the quarantine and all this other stuff. I mean, I'm worn those three out like you know, people talk about going to the end of Netflix. Like I've gone yeah. to the end of stuff that I'm interested in on those apps. So it's uh-huh. not the, you know, well, people don't, you know, black people don't watch and, and all this other stuff. I That's bullshit because I know for a fact one in particular that has, like I said, worn all three of those apps out. And I know other guys and gals that consume, you know, any kind of media from the outdoors, especially anything that's different than what you see over right. and over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me that's what they say, but I'm just saying, as you already know, that's bullshit. Right. And here, let me add on to that. A lot of times people will tell themselves things to make themselves feel comfortable. People will love to operate within their um, comfort zones. And telling themselves that black people don't hunt, listening to that, you know, person, that black person or Hispanic person or whatever person they found to validate what they say as to a particular ethnic group not hunting, uh, that just makes the situation even worse. Um, you know, I, I, I have, you know, <laughs> I have been enlightened in a bad kind of way as to a lot of the talk that people do. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at my outdoor show right now, to the best of my knowledge, I am the only person of color on any outdoor network on major television. Now, there's guys on you know, on, on a lot of streaming services. There are people on YouTube and Facebook. But to my knowledge, I'm the only guy with a television show, on a black guy with a television show. There's one. On the ma- one. Yeah. One other one. Who? Which one is that one? Uh, Trent Cole. Former, Trent Cole, I've seen, yeah, yep. with Green Island Outdoors, I think it is. Yep, with the, I think with that the, may be a show with the Blitz. Um, I think yeah, the, the Blitz TV, Blitz yeah. TV, that's what it is. Blitz yep. TV, I think and it is. Yeah, yep, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. You hey, and out, of, him. out of about out of about three hundred. You're right. There's, I mean, last count is about three hundred shows. Yep. So I ask myself, why is that? You know, and the way I look at it is this: a lot of people, again, and I know you know, I've seen uh, Trent Cole's show, and his show is great. But I think my show has a different spin and brings a different dynamic to the outdoors about mm-hmm. uh, the by the way I deliver things. But I would think that you know it, let's let, let's use this example. Let's say you have four or five companies trying to reach the moon, saying you know what we see this thing out there called the moon, and we're trying to find a way to get you know to the moon to get our products on the moon. And let's say that I you know happen to come along and say hey I got a rocket ship that goes to the moon every week. All you got, all I need is gas to do you know to get there. And I can carry your products up there with me. I go every week. You would think that a small company would say, hey, this guy's already doing what we're trying to do. Why don't we help support him to help get give us some gas to get his rocket up to the moon to deliver our product to the moon? You would think that they would do that. However, it seems to me that a lot of people are still trying to create their own rocket. Mm. And they've been trying to create their own rocket for the last 10, 15 years and still haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> so I just find it, you know, right. amazing that <laughs> I got a rocket that's going to the moon every week, doing well, a good job of it. Yet it, nobody wants to come on board. And I, I've had this, you know, conversation with, you know, in different groups and even on um you know, on my social media pages and stuff, because last year we, gentleman, um, Patrick Durkin wrote an article for Meat Eater, is hunting too white. And I thought it was an interesting yeah, I, article. I, I, saw, I, I saw that. I haven't read it, but I did see that on Facebook, yeah. So, I, And I thought it was an interesting article. So, you know, my dad always told me, he's like, you want to know something, you go straight to the horse. So yeah, yeah. I went to him, invited him on. He came on the show and, you know, we talked about the article and, this, that, and the other, and the prevailing sense of comments that I got back outside of the, why you got to bring race into it, why you staring up stuff, blah, 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 was that it's not about race, it's about money, which is always a a funny 
argument to me because it's not true. <laughs> in layman terms, that's layman. It's true, exactly. In layman terms, right? It's not true, which is why it's funny. But the other reason why it's funny to me is because that's always the default. And at the yeah. end of the day, when people realize that all folks want is opportunity, that's it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, if you if you get the opportunity and you fall flat on your face, then that's a whole different story. But to say you're going to fall on your face before you even get the opportunity, or in this case to say, oh, nobody will watch it because black people don't watch, da-da-da-da-da-da, before you even actually put it out there to try, that's where the frustration comes in, and that's where it's not right. Yeah, and like I said, a lot of people, you know, I go back to that you know, comfort zone. A lot of people are comfortable holding on to those stereotypes and paradigms. Yeah, They hold on to it. Particularly the perception that the, the the finances and the cost is what deters a lot of black people from hunting. That's not true. Right. That's about like saying that, you know, black people don't go to college because they can't read. <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? You know, right. that's not true right. either. <laughs> so the thing I look at it, Adam, is like this. A lot of people, I've heard that before. And what I've noticed is that a lot of times mainstream America will try to take something that applies to maybe the lower uh, economic class black population mm-hmm. and apply it to the whole, you know, culture, the whole yeah. black culture. Yeah. I heard a guy in, t- in uh, Kansas City tell me uh, a while, a few years ago, when I was trying to introduce more blacks to, uh, you know, skeet shooting and stuff like that. He said, hey, Eric, you know what? He said, I saw that, you know, the write-up in a paper about you, you know, um, uh, a few weeks ago and, you know, I think if you got any of those people that you want to bring out to the range, the skeet range here, you know, bring them on out. You know, I even give them a discount price, you know, $20. That's the price our members pay. And I'll, you know, let them come out and shoot for $20. But they probably can't afford it. And so I looked wow. at him. I said, look. And I said, look. Wow. I said, I know. I, I, was, I wanted to say, here's the thing I would tell you, man. <laughs> yeah. you, le- you learn how to kind of something, bite your tongue and, and put your hands in your pocket. Right. versus letting your hands fly right. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and saying wow. what you really want to say. But I looked at him and said, look, I said, who do you think I deal with? I said, these people that are coming out here to shoot skeet are not people from the hood, people who just got out of, on, on work release and probation, you know, <laughs> the, the stereotype that you have. Right. The medium income of the people I'm bringing out, yearly income is $60,000 a year. So the average person you'd be talking to making more than you're making right now. A lot of these people I'm going to bring out, I told the guy by his name, I said, look, they make $100,000 a year. Mm. It's not, $20 ain't, right. $20 ain't jacking them. <laughs> the thing is, they just have never been introduced to ski shooting. Right. <laughs> so, you know, but those are the kind of, you know, perceptions that you have to overcome because, I mean, particularly right now with a lot of stuff going on in our, in our, in our society right now, right. you have a lot of dumb ideology ideology going on yeah and a lot of perceptions and a lot of all kind of stuff and you know you'd be amazed at what people really think about you or or or, or your particular ethnic group yeah you'd be surprised no i so, think that's that's part of my problem is i'm not surprised <laughs> you know, I'm, a, I'm a pessimist I, people say pessimist i prefer realist at heart yeah, yeah. so it's like and you have to be yeah. that's the only way you're gonna get things things done because you know Believing, you know, a pipe dream and looking through life through rose-colored glasses ain't going to get you nowhere. Right. Right. Well, where can folks make their donations? Where can people reach you, find you in order to help out with non-typical outdoorsman TV? Well, I can be found uh, on Facebook, non-typical outdoorsman TV. The show has a Facebook page that's up. I also have a GoFundMe uh, account. Um, you know, I encourage everybody who, you know, if you haven't seen the show, go out and watch the show. I have a few episodes on Facebook. Yep. They're on Facebook because a lot of people, as you said earlier, don't have cable. And at the time, my show was not on the Pursuit Up app, which it is now. Season one is all on the Pursuit Up app. Okay. But, um, you know, like I said, the, the, the thing that I always tell everybody is that this is this. Uh, they can also email me at nontypicaloutdoorsman at outlook.com. But I would say this, though, a lot of people think that because I'm a black producer, I'm a black host for an outdoor show, that my show is geared towards, you know, the black community. 
I would tell everybody out there that my show um, is geared towards outdoorsmen. Mm. And, you know, um, race, here's the thing. A lot of people sometimes get bogged down too much on race. Right. Race does matter. Our country is was built on race and, you know, steeped in race and racism with certain things. However, I like to look at it from a different point of view in that, yeah, although I am a black producer, black host, uh, I like to, you know, just look at the fact and say that, you know, we're all are hunters, you know, black, white, everything in between. That's the commonality that we have. So my show is a show that is um, educational, informal, I mean, informative and, um, you know, fun to watch by everybody. And the proof of that is when I have responses coming in from all over the country, from black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and everything in between saying, hey, Eric, we love your show. It was fun. It was great. That's what it's all about for me. I realize that there are some racial uh, barriers that I'm still working to overcome. I, I'm realizing that some people are still you know, under that rock thinking that black people don't hunt. I guarantee you I can fill up 10 buses full of black hunters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Easy. hey, y'all, who want to do a road trip to this store, to that store, to, right. the, to this out, you know, outdoor store? So that's what I want people to realize. You know, I know I may see a lot of things that some people don't agree with. They don't like it. They can contact me. We can talk about it, have a civil discussion about it. But I think that the time for change is now. Uh, we can't keep kicking this can down the road, as I've often said in other podcasts, and we can't keep trying to find excuses as to why we aren't doing a better job of bringing more racial diversity and inclusion to the outdoors. The time is now. Definitely. Eric, I appreciate you coming through, man sharing your story with me i encourage everyone to check out non-typical outdoorsman tv i know i'm going to get myself together um i guess i'll add another um another hunt app with the uh i'll check out the pursuit app so i can get that show man because we definitely Mm -hmm. definitely need to support this um i'm enjoying what you're doing like i say the tv guy in me can definitely appreciate the struggle and what you're going through to do it. So, man, just keep at it, and I'm um, definitely going to be looking for more from you, bro. Hey, I appreciate the support, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Brightland. All right, man. Eric Morris on the grind, ladies and gentlemen, trying to get his TV show back on the Pursuit channel for another season, man. And once again, if you want to help this brother out, make sure you go check out his GoFundMe non-typical outdoorsman tv diversity and inclusion check that out on the gofundme you can drop him some coins to help you know put the vision put the dream together before i get ready to get up on out of here man i just want to remind y'all to go and check out bryantlandcountry.com bryantlandcountry.com is our website we got everything we got merch we got the past podcast. We got videos, the Bryantland videos, man. Make sure you guys are checking out BryantlandCountry.com. We got our Patreon link there as well. If you want access to some uh, bonus Bryantland stuff, hit that Patreon link. So make sure, like I said, you're checking out BryantlandCountry.com. It has all the ways to get at us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things. One-stop shopping, folks, bryantlandcountry.com. So make sure you are going to check that out. want to say thank you and a big shout-out again to our sponsor, Onyx Hunt, and our partner, Traeger Grills. Make sure you're checking those folks out at well, checking those folks out as well. Getting a little tongue-tied because I'm talking too fast. But nevertheless, another Bryantland show is in the books. Y'all stay safe. Y'all be well out there. And come back next week for another episode of The Brightland Show.